which way you want to start and go. I think we start with the session. Yeah. It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. The 2022 legislative session is over. Technically, it's not, but yeah, it is over for all intents and purposes. It just ends on its own on December 31st. Is that correct? That is. They're going to do skeletal sessions up until then. A lot of us were hoping for a sine die adjournment. That did not happen. The Senate didn't seem to want to cooperate there. And uh, that's unfortunate. I am one of those. I'm kind of old school. I like, We've heard. Yeah, I like the traditions. I love that. And basically, this is a dropping of the handkerchief, almost a surrender, if you will. But uh, think aren't of they, it. Aren't they supposed to open both doors at yeah, the same time? They do. And the House lines, the center of the House, the Senate lines up on their side. And it's a great ceremony. It kind of reminds me at the end of a, of a game where both sides get together and shake hands and wish everyone well. But we're going to limp into the final day, December 31st. That's when everyone's term ends. And I, I have some theories as to why uh, the Senate didn't want to come into session. But Proceed. Well, the House, as we know allowed departing members to give departing speeches. And it was a great moment. Two hours, right? Two hours, yeah. And so Jamie Bowles and Pat Hurley, and, you know, they stand up and talk about their work and how much they're going to miss folks. Over on the Senate side, we started seeing press releases going out this weekend, and then, and then I think Monday and Tuesday from Senator Wiley Nickel. And I think... Senator Berger, I have not confirmed this, but I think he thought it was just going to turn into a political showmanship that he wanted no part of. And we know that there are five senators that are now making the jump to D.C., so that's at least five speeches that could be long. We know that Senator Nickel asked to be recognized for a departing floor speech, and he was cut off from what I understand. Well, he did have a press conference, so I, I think <laughs> yeah. he probably handled it. <laughs> yeah. The Senate doesn't like showboating. And the House, the members, and of course, Democrats who are departing, Brian Farkas, Ricky Hurtado, and of course, I listed Republicans earlier. You know, it's not a moment for politics. It's a moment to say goodbye. I sort of can really side with the Senate on this because I don't like goodbyes either. Like the elongated hug, mm -hmm. et cetera. Like, let's just leave. <laughs> you don't do goodbyes. <laughs> like, I get it. So It's kind of gringy, don't you think? <laughs> you have the sentimentality of Phil Berger. <laughs> I have the sentimentality of Speaker Moore. And I think, you know, Speaker Moore was great. He really did great on Tuesday. He, it was bipartisan. It was nice. It was people talking across the aisle about how much they'll miss their colleagues. And, you know, it is a sacrifice. You think about Jamie Bowles, who started serving, I believe, back in 2008. He gave us 14 years. And, you know, he's leaving, and he deserves an opportunity to say his piece. And it was a great, it's great. You know, it, he talked about, coming to the General Assembly when he was a kid and seeing the red carpet. And you know, then when he was elected, you couldn't stand on it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Pat Hurley talked about... Cursive. <laughs> cursive writing. 
please, everyone, learn cursive writing for Representative Hurley's sake. Luckily, while they were in town, the speaker and Senator Berger often do a media gaggle during these administrative sessions. And they did talk about what we expect to see in the upcoming session this week. Redistricting is going to be on the agenda. Now, the speaker said that he didn't think they were going to get to it till, you know, maybe early summer. I thought this would be something they come out of the gate on pretty quickly. We talked to a senator yesterday, and he said that there needs to be some trigger things going on with the courts and how some of the court cases are proceeding. So the Supreme Court takes an action, and then that kicks that back to the General Assembly. So Speaker Moore seems to be on that kind of timeline. Well, that's because he was specifically talking about those federal redistricting maps. What you're talking about with the triggers are state legislative maps. So for the federal redistricting maps, that is because you have to wait until the Supreme Court releases their opinion on the case to be able to then comply with it. More v. Harper. Yes. All right. And so for them to be able to trigger the legislative maps, House and Senate here at the General Assembly, we do need some triggers, though, from the state Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something to put on your bingo card for 2023. The other issue they talked about might be a surprise. Wait for it here. Medicaid Medicaid expansion. expansion. Yeah, that's going to be on the agenda. The phrase that you hear over and over again. And they both said they will take it up. So that is a little bit different from what the House's position had been in last legislative session. There were some things they weren't giving up, so they just did not move the Senate's bill at all. And Speaker Moore did say, hey, there are some parameters that the House has, but we we shall see where that goes. Moore County is still on everyone's mind. The attack on the substation that left 40,000 residents without power, as we reported last week, has been restored. But we're starting to hear some hints from legislators that hardening up our infrastructure, vulnerable infrastructure, like substations, is going to be on the agenda next year. So while lawmakers were in town on Tuesday, there were a couple committee meetings, and one of those was the joint Legislative Education Oversight Committee. They adopted a final report in this committee recommending some changes in the way we do K-12 special education funding, improving morale over at the community college system. We know that they have been hurt by the employee shortage. And then there was just a litany, maybe about six areas in which they were adopting some recommendations. Now, the way these oversight committees work is when an oversight committee in any topic, when they adopt a report, you can pretty much bet that you are going to see that report in legislation that is being proposed in the next session. So it's almost like a formal, our committee, this is what we have found in oversight, and you can start queuing up legislation. Tuesday night, WRAL released a documentary on Hurricane Matthew and the efforts to rebuild from the damage that was done in eastern North Carolina. And for a refresher, Hurricane Matthew hit in 2016. It is 2022. So on Wednesday, a hurricane response 
subcommittee met to talk about these efforts. So timed with that WRAL documentary, and then they brought in some of the folks running that Rebuild NC program. Yeah, kind of a hurricane in that meeting in and of itself. We're talking about folks who have been living in motels. And by the way, when folks live in motels, they're not at the Umstead or at the Holiday Inn. They're staying in really some some tough conditions down in southeastern North Carolina. And, you know, you hear the most from Senator Jim Perry, Senator Brent Jackson, Senator Kirk Devier, Representative John Bell, Representative Brendan Jones, Senator Danny Britt. They are all concerned. They are hearing it every day from their constituents. And they let Laura Hogshead, who is the director of the North Carolina Office of Recovery and Resiliency, know that they are so displeased with her department and even her. Senator Britt had some very pointed words for her. He called for her resignation and said, quote, if you were in the private sector, you would have been fired a long time ago. I've spoken to a lot of legislators about this. I'm not, you know, we're not working on the issue, but I'm, you know, talked to Representative Brendan Jones this week about it, Senator Britt, Senator Perry. And, you know, it's just one of those things where they are so frustrated by the bureaucracy that has been created. And I asked them, I said, well, you know, is this something where government is just not equipped to handle this. And they said, well, you know, South Carolina is doing it right. Now, of course, you could argue South Carolina didn't get the extensive damage that East Southeastern North Carolina has, but you'd have to agree. I think everyone has to agree that after six years. A look at the numbers after six years, 889 of the 4,313 homes have been completed. Unbelievable. We need to fix this. I think we're going to hear more oversight committees. And I think, you know, Senator Brent Jackson, he said in this committee meeting that you either fix it or I'm going to use my power as an appropriations chair to get the money to someone who can fix this. So another issue that I think we can all expect to see the General Assembly address in the 2023 session. So this week, we don't have any unsubstantiated rumors. They're all substantiated this week. The first big piece of news about movement is that State Representative John Hardister announced that he was eyeing running for labor commissioner in 2024. The seat is going to be vacated by Commissioner Josh Dobson in 2024. And the Carolina Journal broke this news that Representative Hardister is looking at the race. Now, he says he's got to consult with some friends and family over the holidays. He's going to do that, and then he'll make a decision. But he did talk kind of in his quote that, you know, he's really looking at it. He said, with over a decade of service in state government and more than 20 years of experience in the private sector, I'm uniquely qualified to serve in this capacity. The job of labor commissioner is critical to the workers of North Carolina. And if elected, I will dedicate myself to the responsibilities of the office. That sounds like someone who's in a race. That sounds like an announcement. Yeah, for sure. We are sure there will be other names on both sides of the aisle. For this job and congratulations to Representative Hardister for at least putting your toe in the water. We'll wait until the new year to see what happens. Additionally, on Thursday, Governor Cooper 
appointed Allison Riggs to serve on the Court of Appeals in that seat that has been vacated by Justice-elect Richard Dietz. Allison Riggs has been in NC poll world as an attorney for the Southern Coalition for Social Justice. She succeeded, actually, Anita Earls, who was on the Supreme Court. So Allison Riggs has been involved in a lot of the court cases that we've seen against the General Assembly as it pertains to maps and voting rights and issues like that. But joining the court, uh, at least that appellate court, Allison Riggs will join Anita Earls, who's on the Supreme Court. I am sure we are going to hear a lot in the coming year about the need for her to recuse herself on a lot of the cases that are going up through the courts. But congratulations to Allison Riggs on this appointment. After sitting down with Senator-elect Benton Sari, we wanted to sit down with a Democratic Senator-elect, and we got to talk to Senator-elect Mary Wills Bodie this week. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Senator-elect Mary Wills Bodie, welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me, guys. Happy Thursday. Happy Happy Thursday. Thursday. You are our second newly elected. We interviewed someone from the Republican side who is newly elected, and we'd like to talk to you about your perspective coming in. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where's your district? Why is your district special? Uh, Well, I call Senate District 18 the best Senate district um, in North Carolina. So when I was at orientation this week, I got in a little bit of trouble with my um, newly elected senators. But I will proudly say Senate District 18 is the best Senate district in North Carolina. It is North Wake and all of Granville County. Um, It's a third Republican, a third Democrat, a third unaffiliated. And it's the only... Senate district in North Carolina that's urban, suburban, and rural. So I tell people it's a perfect microcosm of North Carolina. We're just missing the beach and the mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is a place of tremendous opportunity, lots of growth, lots of change. And it's just, you know, it's close to Raleigh, um, but it's got a lot of agriculture still, especially in the northern part of Granville County. Um, And it's just an amazing place. I'm a Wake County native, born and raised, um, and I live in Granville County now. So it's, it really is home for me. And it's a place I care deeply about. Granville County being the more rural of the two, the more rural area, you had to run across these three, you know, urban, suburban, rural. And you you had impressive numbers in Granville County. A lot of folks noticed that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, we ran a really thoughtful, I think, textbook grade A campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, we really left it all in the field. You know, looking back the last year, thinking about what we did right, what we did wrong, we really invested in relationships. Mm-hmm. And this work is very relational. You got to show up. You got to tell people you know, what you stand for, what you want to work on, and you got to meet them where they are. And we spent a tremendous amount of time doing that in Granville County. Mm -hmm. Granville County is 30% of the district voting wise. Mm -hmm. um, But I tell people it still needs 100% of the attention that it deserves about its issues and challenges and opportunities. And so early on, that was a, a big part of how I wanted to run my campaign. And 
just really leveraged those relationships and took the time to to invest in um, in the community and, and showing up. And that really matters to people. Mm-hmm. And it goes a long way. Um, but it also doesn't stop. I mean, relational work continues on as it should. Now my role has changed and I want to continue to be a good shepherd and steward of those relationships and, and grow them. I can't wait to go to the schools in Granville County and meet some of our younger folks and go to Rotary. I mean, there were so many community places that I just, we didn't have the time to get to um, that I'm really looking forward um, to getting to know folks more throughout the district, business, religious, community, all of it. Um, I'm really excited. And this weekend, there's a lot of holiday stuff going on, and I'm really excited about being there for that. So. Mm. Speaking of your district, your race, if people might recognize the name because they probably saw some ads on TV if you are in the Raleigh, greater Raleigh area. I'm so sorry. Your <laughs> district was very high profile. Can you talk about what that was like to go through? Sure. Um, still processing it. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. it, it, which is that it was a very new thing for me, for people to recognize me, you know, at Target or at the gas station. People are like, I think I know you. And I'm like, you don't. You've just seen my face on TV. And I'm so sorry. I know we're all ready for political ads to be over. You know, it's never easy when your family's attacked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me personally, I felt like that was a line too far. But that is the world we live in. And my family was 100% on board for this race. Um, They believe in what I'm trying to do. And, you know, I think you just have to be very focused and clear eyed and stay positive. I mean, people are going to try and knock you off your block. And I learned that when I was advocating for redistricting reform. You know, there's a lot of noise and you just got to focus on the signal. And you have to remember why you started. And I really felt like people were depending on me. Because they were. And now the constituents of Senate District 18 are counting on me. And so I have to be very clear-headed and very focused on what they want to see get done and represent them well. And so that makes it a lot easier um, to kind of take the hits when you know that you're in it for all the right reasons. You are no stranger to politics. Can you talk a little bit about your political life? Yes, I tell people I come by it honestly. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, my parents met on a political campaign. My mom was running a phone bank for a congressional candidate when she was at UNC Chapel Hill. And um, my dad's younger brother was like, hey, my brother just moved back. We want to get him involved in stuff. I'm going to bring him over. And mom was like, okay, great. And of course, my dad didn't follow the script, the Mm -hmm. phone banking script. So my mom had to come over and you know, they started dating. And so that was my big plug for phone banking on the campaign trail. You never know who you're going to meet. My mom's dad was a North Carolina state senator and her grandfather was also a state senator um, and U.S. congressman. So, you know, our family believes deeply in public service um, and in North Carolina. My dad was um, campaign manager for a bunch of different folks throughout North Carolina. Tony Rand, when he ran for lieutenant governor. And, you know, my mom was head of DHHS, started Smart Start in North Carolina. And my dad's also military veteran, wounded veteran. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I tell people all the time, I've, I've seen the sacrifices people make for our country um, and our values. And I've also seen the power of public policy to make a difference. I have had the privilege of a front row seat at that. It's just a value that has been part of our family for a very long time. And to see that in an ad the Bodie Bunch ad, to see that, that that was painful, right? To see uh, the public service of your family kind of get 
turned around and skewed. And twist. And for me, you know, being called a lobbyist, I was, I was a lobbyist and I am very proud of the work that I did yeah. as a lobbyist for North Carolina in redistricting reform. It's what brought me back to North Carolina, you know, in a time when our politics were so polarized, we really showed folks that bipartisan work on an issue like redistricting reform can be done. Um, and that's something my parents had always taught me as well. You know, we I grew up in a political household, but my parents have friends across the political spectrum. I have friends across the political, I'm sure y'all have friends. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, this us versus them mentality. And when I was at the polls and when folks would say, are you the enemy or they're the enemy? I mean, that just took my breath away. You know, how far we have, we have gone from that. Mm-hmm. This idea that we all have value to add, you know, what I said a lot on the campaign trail is I don't believe either party has a monopoly on all the best ideas. And I believe that, you know, I feel very grateful that I've had two great mentors and my parents. Um, Unfortunately, my grandfather is not here to see me do this. But, you know, I know he's he's keeping a watchful eye. And also my grandma, my dad's mom um, worked on Senator Blue's first campaign. Is that right? Back in the day. We just we believe in getting involved and trying to trying to make the world a better place. When we had Senator Benton Solry on, he talked about how he was looking forward to working with different legislators, incoming legislators particularly, and he mentioned your name. And he texted after the podcast had dropped. He said, yeah, I got a call from Mary Wills Bodie. Mm-hmm. It was a nice overture. I think he appreciated it. Talk about that. Sure. Well, I'm just trying to do politics better. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm just an overachiever. I wanted to get a head start um, before I came in. Yeah, I heard him talk on the podcast. Obviously, I'm a listener. (laughs) And, you know, I think my generation, our generation um, for me and Senator Alex Alry is we've grown up in an increasingly polarizing political environment. Mm. And we're also both attorneys. He has young children. I have young nieces and nephews. And... We know that we can do better. I think we both know that there's a lot more we have in common that what separates us. I mean, this sounds trite, but it costs nothing to be kind. You know, we can be respectful and disagree vehemently. And one thing I think law school taught me is you can really disagree with people and just iron sharpens iron um, Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. And so I was so pleasantly surprised when he brought my name up. And yeah, I looked up his phone number on his like campaign filings and um and uh i think he was on his way to disney world you know we got to know each other a little bit better over in orientation and i'm you know i'm really excited about being down on jones street with him so you mentioned law school you've also mentioned coming back to north carolina can you kind of walk us through your life and what got you to this point born and raised in raleigh <clears throat> went to wake forest university go deeks uh-huh. um so i i actually interned at the united states supreme court when i was in college in the clerk's office and was kind of trying to figure out if I wanted to go to law school or not. Very, very impactful, formative time um, at the Supreme Court. And after that, I, I loved D.C., wasn't quite ready to go to law school yet. So I worked for Accenture Consulting Firm in Washington and worked for the Department of Defense. And then I felt like it was time to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the longer you wait, the harder it gets it is to get back into it. So I went to Chapel Hill. Go Heels. <laughs> you will not hear me say Go Blue Devils. (laughs) Um, So I went to Chapel Hill and decided I wanted to go to New York City to practice um, on Wall Street. And I was fortunate enough to get a job um, at a boutique Wall Street law firm. Also a very impactful, formative time in my life. You know, being a young attorney, I was the only female from the South 
pretty much one of the only people in my 40 member incoming associate class um, that didn't go to an Ivy League law school. And I felt like I had a lot of lot to prove. And so um, I worked really hard, a lot of hundred hour work weeks, made amazing relationships with people that, um, you know, I admire so deeply and who are tremendous attorneys. But you know, I tell people all the time my definition of success changed. I started getting really involved in political fundraising for Governor Cooper and Break the Supermajority campaign, a fundraising for candidates I really believed in, like Senator Sidney Batch, um, who was running for the first time, and Rachel Hunt, and Erica McAdoo, and a whole host of other candidates at the time who were willing to, you know, who wanted to step into the arena in the 2018 election cycle to break the supermajority for Governor Cooper. And, you know, once I kind of got involved in that, I started thinking about coming home to North Carolina. And then Tom Ross, who was working in New York at the time, former UNC system president, came to some event I was having at my apartment and he pulled me aside and he said, you know, I've never met you before, but I think you'd be great for a job that I know is going to come open. And I said, okay, tell me about it. Um, And so anyway, I mean, it was an amazing opportunity to come back to North Carolina and work on an issue I care deeply about in a bipartisan way. And, you know, I would have never predicted that would be my trajectory. You know, you hear people talk about their careers and they say, you know, it's not linear. I could have never planned for this. I was just so, so humbled that this group that he had assembled um, for the board trusted me um, to take on this responsibility and move the ball forward. So that's what brought me back. And then, you know, I was like, why would I ever leave? (laughs) (laughs) Talk about your decision to go from advocacy to elected office, Mm -hmm. to, to run for the Senate. Yeah, so... I was actually thinking about this last night, a little bit over a year ago, I was thinking about running. Yeah. And I remember my mom and I were on a trip together, just the two of us. And she was like, well, you know, why? why? Like, what's your why? I need to hear, I want to hear, you know, what's your vision? What's your why? You know, what I told my mom is that I felt like I had so much unfinished business from a redistricting reform, not Mm -hmm. just on, but I was like, I loved it. I loved working with people. I love you know, I just love the policy aspect. And I felt like a lot of those skills that I had learned could be translated into a very, being a very effective state senator. And we just had a very long conversation about what that could look like. And she was like, okay, I get it. And when you get bitten by the political bug, like right. you just, you just got to own it. Right. right. <laughs> you can't fight it. Yeah. So I imagine your household growing up, is politics always in the air around the dinner table growing up? And your dad, I mean, I, I remember seeing your father walk in the halls. And I mean, he, he, coming home talking about bills and politics and all that. Yes. My parents did a lot of hosting at our house growing oh. up. So I remember taking coats and writing name tags um, wow. when I was little and always having folks over, always talking about issues. Yeah, that was a big part of our childhood. I'm like thinking back on all those like dinner tables and yeah, dinner table conversations. And, um, you know, folks we had mentioned before, like Zeb Alley and he was Uncle Zeb to me. And, you know, also very sad that he's not here to see me do this. He was he was a big champion of me and I was I was like a daughter to him. So um, anyway, and he had a tremendous legacy in North Carolina making a difference. And That's what I think a lot of folks don't understand about lobbyists is that they help navigate so many issues. And, you know, sure, I mean, in any profession, there are folks 
on some issues and others you'll agree or disagree or whatever. But, you know, I, I think back to so many of the people that I know that were lobbyists and, and what a difference they have made in North Carolina and, and causes they have championed session after session, um, because a lot of these things don't get done in one session, as mm-hmm. we all know, and the whole cast changes. And so a lot of times you have to have folks who are going to carry the water. You came here from orientation. Mm. Talk to us a little bit about what is orientation for new legislators? What was that like? And maybe a couple takeaways. It's not like college orientation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Orientation was great. It was... They made it um, as not like drinking out of a fire hose as it was drinking out of a fire hose. I mean, everyone there is so professional and so committed. Um, We learned about everything from how to get a bill passed, you know, what your LA, your legislative assistant can do. We talked a lot about security. Mm. Um, We talked about committee assignments. Everything in the first two days were that pretty much administrative policy, constituent services, the differences between the House and the Senate. And then today we had a breakout session with just um, Senate and House because there are such you know, vast differences between the two bodies, not just in numbers and just their rules and everything else. So they gave us a lot to read. I will, of course, be going home and reading all the rules. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you're joking. (laughs) You seem like you might actually be a reader. (laughs) Um, You got to know the rules. It was incredibly well done. And I think we all walked away feeling just you know, a lot more like we, we knew kind of the landscape. I mean, it's like anything, you're not really going to know until you get in there and do it. But, you know, there's such a well-oiled machine down there mm-hmm. and they care deeply. You know, they had so much advice and wisdom to impart best practices. Yeah, it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Let's talk a little bit about what you're coming into. The situation is 30 Republicans, 20 Democrats. The supermajority is there. You got any thoughts on that? I'm still kind of thinking through what that looks like. I made a commitment to the voters of Senate District 18 that I was I am willing to work with anyone who wants to work in good faith on the issues. That's the kind of senator that I'm going to be. The party that I'm affiliated with, the Democratic Party, is not the party in power. And that means our agenda may not be top of the list. But I still think there are places that we can add value and contribute and assist to move the ball forward on issues. And I'm really looking forward to doing that. I will work, literally work with anyone who wants to work in good faith. I want to talk about what some of your ideas are that you know you think you would like to push in your freshman term? Sure. So I'm a big believer in early childhood education. Anyone who's been around little people, especially two and above, I mean, their minds are so engaged, they're absorbing and they're learning so much. It's so early on, coupled with the fact our daycare system is very fractured, very broken. Um, and we have a lot of parents who are struggling with that and have also had to leave the workforce because of that, because of the pandemic. I would really love to see North Carolina commit to being a leader in the early childhood education space. It makes such a difference in a child's life and their outcomes, especially as we look at our state that is so varied, um, has so many different needs. I think it's a great place to start. I do not find that to be a partisan issue, and I'm sure my colleagues across the aisle would agree. I agree with that. There's a great early childhood caucus Mm -hmm. that is very bipartisan, even in its leadership. But yeah, there's been some great work coming out of the General Assembly on that. What are a couple of things that you're excited about 
about being in the legislature? I think just getting to know more people. I have really enjoyed, you know, this past year has been, I've met so many incredible people. I'm looking forward to just getting to know more people in my caucus, um, more people in the Senate, the House. Um, I'm really looking forward to figuring out who wants to work on what and kind of rolling up our sleeves and finding that pathway that really excites me really interests me and I mean just what a privilege I'm just excited to be down there and see how it all happens and take it all in and and do my part I'm also really excited about just the kids the school you know there were school children there today and they were waving at us and you know just they are so in awe of all of this and really leaning into that and getting them excited about civics and just remembering, you know, you're a leader and people are watching you and all that matters. I just love that kind of stuff. What about the transition? Can you talk a little bit about the transition of working on Wall Street in a litigation job to coming to North Carolina and doing advocacy and now being a senator, kind of how your life has changed and what you see for the future? Yes. It is a lot to think about. That is a great question. The number one thing is that you always have to work hard. I think working hard and putting the work always pays off. At my firm, I mean, New York is a city of fierce competitors. You know, everyone goes there to be the best. And I really tried to soak up and learn as much as I could from amazing um, attorneys who were surrounding me. And I learned a lot about that, about working hard and staying focused. And I think that that carries, you know, always being prepared in redistricting work. You know, there was a learning curve for me. That wasn't my wheelhouse in terms of um, legal issues. And I really did try and learn as much as I could from people and be an honest broker. I think as an attorney too, you you know, your reputation, and that's just for life generally. I mean, all you have is your good name mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I mean, I think those, a lot of those skill sets are going to translate over, you know, running for office was a new thing for me. I practiced every speech like 10 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, I agonized over every, you know, message and tweet. I mean, there's so much that goes into every, especially early on. I mean, you really have to, you have to work really hard. Some people are really gifted at it and that's awesome. But other folks, I mean, you just, you have to work at it. And so that's how I'm kind of looking at this role is that, you know, I I really want to put in the work to do the best job I can. And that's the assignment, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I met you over the summer with Senator Mike Woodard and we were talking afterwards and I said, man, I really like that Mary Bodie. He says, it's Mary Wills Bodie, Brian. (laughs) Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, can you talk about your, your Mary Wills, right? That's that's how you're known as people address you. That is, I tell people I've been called worse, but uh-huh. yes, that's how what but people, some people Yeah, <laughs> Some people call you Mary, right? And you're like, it's Mary Wills? It is. Yeah. So luck, luckily for me, most people around me, like Senator Mike Woodard will correct people for me. <laughs> and yes, my name is Mary Wills Bodie. So I have a double name, double first name. Okay. I am named for both of my grandmothers who were Mary and my grandfather, Wills Hancock. Uh, my grandmother, as I mentioned, named me. She did not like the names that my mom had picked for my brothers. Their names are Paul and David. <laughs> <laughs> not like Apple or whatever, uh, yeah, yeah. but you know. Um, and my mom was like, sure, you can name her. It's fine. And so, yeah, I'm Mary Wells. And I remember when I was learning how to write my name and I showed my grandmother I wrote my name and I just wrote Mary. She was like, that is not your name. So, Yeah. Since you said you're a listener, you know this question is coming, so maybe you've thought about it. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics today, what would it be? I did think about it, and I have been agonizing over this for the record, (laughs) and I actually came up with it right before I came over here. I think that the one thing I would change is I would want there to be a debate in every race. 
I heard that from mm. a lot of, of voters and I may kick a future me may kick myself for saying this. Um, <laughs> no, I, <laughs> you know, I heard from so many voters at the polls and just out on the campaign trail. It's so hard for them to find good information. There's just so much out there, so much negative, so many mail pieces, so many digital, so many TV ads. And, you know, I think we've all grown up with, you know, debates being an opportunity to see someone, you know, speak to their, you know, you see their style. So some of the the nonverbal, their style, how prepared they are, how they, how well they work under pressure, but also the substance of what they're saying. And I do think it's unfortunate that debates seem to have gone a little bit out of vogue in the political arena. And if you're someone who's running for office and you're, you're unwilling to get up there when given the opportunity to kind of stake out your ground, I think voters should take note of that. Well, Senator-elect Mary Wills Bodie, we appreciate everything you are doing in North Carolina politics, your willingness to serve in the Senate. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Look forward to future conversations. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. Sky, this worked out so well. After we finished our interview a few weeks back with Senator-elect Solry, he told us, sent us a text saying, I heard from Mary Wills Bodie because she had heard him talk about her on the podcast. I thought, well, this is interesting. Let's give her a call and see if she would like to come on the podcast and kind of be our democratic version of that interview. And oh, she was also gracious. She was like, love to. And we just had such a great time with her. She is so energetic, so ready to get to work for her district, and so very ready to work with anyone at the General Assembly who can help her help Granville County, that part of Granville she represents, and Wake County. This is going to be fun to see. We are going to follow up with both Senator-elects here. They will be Senator. Maybe together. Maybe together. That's what Senator-elect Bodie suggested, like sitting them down together and say, hey, how's it going? So look for this in the coming months. Once we get into the 2023 session, we're going to do a follow-up with both of these legislators. And I think that is going to be a really fun time. Tweet of the week. This week's tweet of the week comes from Colin Campbell. Now, I'm going to say he had a couple of good ones this week. So we're just choosing from an array of Colin Campbell tweets. Again, he is at Raleigh Reporter. And his tweet just says, oops, hashtag NCGA. And it is an email that came from Representative Robert Reeves. And it says Rep. Robert Reeves II and says, courtesy of the NC general ass. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you gotta check out those graphics before you hit send uh, all right we're getting inside 10 days of christmas day are you ready for the holidays sure what's your plan i don't really have a plan do you you i'm sure you do so the kids have wrapped up their college exams and projects And they will be home, all of them will be home this weekend. Alan's at NC State, so he came home Thursday. 
and Isabel arrives on Saturday from New York, and I plan to try to spend as much time with them as possible before they get bored and just want to hang out with their friends and things like that. But we're staying at home and inviting folks to our house. That's a whole family political drama in and of itself. Like, where do you go for the holidays and who goes where? But we're just planting our flag and we're saying, you can come to our house. We're going to have a Christmas meal. But Julie and I really just want to hang out with the kids as much as possible. You're not going back to Illinois. No. Yeah, that's... Not now, not ever. (laughs) That is the tough part of adulthood, right? Is around the holidays, whether you stay at home and just take it easy, rest and relax, or you go and check those boxes and see grandma and aunts and uncles, cousins, mom and dad. Well, last year, my successful lobbying effort for us not to get each other gifts, but instead go on a vacation worked. Mm -hmm. And so I met my mom's side of the family at South Padre Island. So saw my parents there and my aunt and uncle and cousins. And so that was a lot of fun. That did not happen this year. And in fact, my brother was supposed to let me know his travel plans contact my brother. He hasn't made plans. He's really kind of a loosey-goosey sort of guy. He's uh, just very go with the flow. Mm -hmm. And um, he did not make those plans. So that's on him. How are your parents taking it that you're not coming home this year? Well, my brother hasn't. He didn't go on our family vacation last year. Mm -hmm. He was not there the year before because that was 2020. So I guess He hasn't been home for Christmas in like three years. And his wife, uh, my sister-in-law, her family, they live like three miles from my parents. I mean, it's one town over, but like everyone's family is there. So it would seem that they would come home, but they don't. And I don't think they care. So I've learned from him that I should also not feel guilty. But my mom will put the guilt trip on you. So how does he do this? I mean, we're talking about like, so it's been three years I mean, we're coming up like an Olympics has gone by, (laughs) a World Cup, we've had an election. Like, what is he doing that, you know, we should all take notes on? He's good with excuses. And I... Three years of excuses. I respect that about him. So last year, it was that he didn't want to get on a plane Mm. because of climate. I'm taking notes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Even though he does travel on a plane to go give speeches places, he's uh, a researcher. So he does like participate in panel discussions at colleges and stuff. So, you know, that's selective. And then this year, he has a report due on December 31st, which I said to my mom, <laughs> I have a great idea. <laughs> Do it earlier. <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> wait a minute. He's saying he can't make the holidays because he's got a big report coming out. <laughs> my sister-in-law <laughs> said she wanted to be done with grading papers first. They're both in academia. Uh-huh. And I said to my mom, like, you know, she could bring them with her. <laughs> right. We have internet here. <laughs> and- my mom was like, well, I think she just wants to be done. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I hear you. Bizarre. When, when he does show up, I mean, just walks in like he's never left? or I mean, This is the thing. Okay, now that you've brought it up. <laughs> this is why I don't understand. I should be the favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. You know why? 
Because absence makes the heart grow fonder. In 2020, we spent the entire day of Christmas just FaceTiming him and telling how much we wished you were there instead of hanging out with each other. (laughs) Well, my mom knows. She's got tricks, you know. She knows how to get me to say yes to something. I have a cousin who has a little boy who is three, and he loves me and I love him. And so she'll send me a video where she's saying to little Zachary, tell Sky whatever. And he'll be like, hey, Ty, I can't wait to tee you. And I'm like, oh, she's good. <laughs> Those tricks don't work on your brother. I'm not sure. I don't know. I often say I've been waiting on my brother to call me back since 2018. You know, like (laughs) you just, he he just is not that connected. Oh man, ice in his veins. (laughs) I don't think he he thinks of it that way, but my mom's just like, well, you know, Scott's busy. And I'm like, okay, so are other people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love my family, uh, but it's, The holidays, and you know, we're about to go into the 2023 session, and I just don't want to spend all that time running up and down the road, checking this box, going here, and it really doesn't feel like a quality visit. I feel like we're just trying to be there long enough to have that hallmark photograph taken, and then you move on to the next destination. One thing the kids have said is that, you know, after... A semester, an intense semester, you just finished exams and final projects. They don't want to hit the road either. And it's hard because I I know extended family wants to see us. But anyway, we're we're staying at home. Mm. But inviting people to come to our house. You should come to our house. I might. Yeah, you should. It'd be fun. I saw all those Christmas lights on your mantle. Yeah, we did a phone call this morning with a client and... Sky was impressed with our Christmas lights. We have Christmas lights, yeah, pretty pretty much throughout the living room. Got the tree up, your tree's up. My tree has been up since November 1st. It is pink, you know. But I'm looking forward to the last 10 days we have. Uh, Christmas will be here before we know it, but we got a lot of work to do before we shut this down for the year. We got another podcast to drop next week. That's going to be, gonna be a, wild. That's a wild one. <laughs> We're That's where we'll leave it. We'll just say... Two guests, it's wild. (laughs) And uh, I can't wait to get that out next week. But let's just have fun for the rest of the year and get rested up for 2023. As always, thanks for listening. Like we said, next week will be wild. So we look forward to talking to you then. But until then, please remember to do politics better.